Broadcasting live from KVXL Studios at Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. The Frittle Show with Crystal Heath. I've said that we must be cautious in claiming God is on our side. I think the real question we must answer is, are we on his side? Faith, family, freedom. For me, it's very simple. I think we've got to, we've got to get the country back on the right track with the most inspiring agenda. A voice in the desert. Now, here's Crystal Heath. Hello, everyone. How are y'all doing? KVXL 101.1 FM Experience Liberty Radio coming to you live from Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. You may not be in Las Vegas, and you could still be listening because we're streaming online 24 hours a day, seven days a week at KVXL 101.com. Our stream is officially back up. Oh, no, maybe it's not. Yes, it is. Maybe. If it's not, it's about to be. Hang on. I literally, like, just ran through the door into the studio here. I'm having a breakfast at church this morning, and to stop at Krispy Kreme and pick up 50 dozen donuts and coffee which is fantastic. My trunk was full of delicious smells this morning, but um, you know that made that made Chris a little bit late, which actually, that actually, you know, incidentally, today's programming is brought to you by Krispy Kreme Donuts fundraising opportunities. Krispy Kreme fundraisers are available year-round. They can take place over one to two days or one to two weeks. So guys, for real, if your nonprofit, if you have an educational group, religious group, community group, charitable group that's looking for a fun way to meet your financial goals, Crystal Cream fundraisers are a great way to do that. I believe there's like a 50% profit margin on almost all of their uh, product there. So it's it's uh, it's a good way for nonprofits, and it's a nonprofit thing. So it's it's cool. You should check it out. CrispyCream.org slash fundraising is where you can find more about that. Or at your local Krispy Kreme, they have brochures and flyers and different things. So anyway, so uh, our stream was down until yesterday, and then yesterday it was back up. Can't tell. Looks like it might actually be down again today. If it is, apologies for that. We are uh, trying to get that back up here, and hopefully we will um, within the next few minutes. Anyhow, uh, it's also our missions conference this week here at Liberty. If you are in Las Vegas, we'd love to have you join us. 7 p.m. tonight and 7 p.m. tomorrow night. Come out and hear what God is doing around the world. So let's get to some headlines from around the world. The Brexit vote is happening today. You may have heard of it. It's over in the UK. Britons are voting on whether or not to stay in the European Union. It's a referendum that could change the face of Europe. And uh, basically it's it's being watched pretty closely by the entire world because uh, it will affect finances, obviously. Uh, The Great Britain is, I think, the second largest economy and the second largest or possibly the largest military power currently in the European Union. So that would really shake up that um, that union. This is from news.trust.org. After four months of bitter campaigning, polling stations opened at 6 o'clock and will close at 2100 with results expected to be announced by the 382 individual local counting areas between uh, 0100 and 0300 on Friday. So basically... A uh, little after midnight UK time, Prime Minister David Cameron is for who is for Remain, so uh, it's basically Remain or or go. Uh, called the vote under pressure from the anti-European Union wing of his own Conservative Party and the surging UK Independence Party, hoping to end decades of debate over Britain's ties with Europe. Even with the vote to stay, 
Cameron could struggle to repair the rifts in his party and hold on to his job. The Leave campaign says Britain's economy would benefit from a Brexit. Remain says it would cause financial chaos and impoverish the nation for years or even decades to come. Two polls conducted on Tuesday and Wednesday found Remain was in the lead, although the overall picture from the last few days of polling was of a vote that was too close to forecast. Uh, Cameron voted early and said on Twitter, vote Remain so that our children and grandchildren have a brighter future. His main rival, former London Mayor Boris Johnson, who is the favorite with bookmakers to succeed Cameron, tweeted, Now is the time to believe in this country and vote leave. Let's make today our Independence Day. This is only the third referendum in British history. The first about membership of what was then called the European Economic Community was in 1975. So essentially what's happening is the, the Conservative Party in the UK is is splitting. I would say not completely unlike what's happening with the Republican Party in the United States potentially uh, this year, but uh, in Europe, or in Great Britain, rather, it's it's a little bit stronger because they're essentially voting on their independence from the European Union. Personally, I'm not real sure why they joined the European Union to begin with. I think that Great Britain is fully capable of uh, surviving and thriving on its own, and if anything would be drained from this relationship, but, you know, I'm I'm not a Briton. It's their their thing. So, but uh, the latest polls this morning, uh, the exit polls find that uh, the vote is looking like Britain will remain, depending on how things continue to play out throughout the rest of the day here. Uh, also, for those of you football fans, you may have seen yesterday, the Baltimore Ravens Twitter account was hacked last night. And via Twitter, the team announced that quarterback Joe Flacco had died. Well, they were hacked. Quarterback Joe Flacco has not died. He is alive. He is well. He is still a Baltimore Raven. Although there is still debate whether or not he is, you know, elite. My answer to that question would be no. But, you know, hey, whatever. The Democrats are having a sit-in on the House floor currently, as in they are literally sitting on the floor. Actually, it may have ended. Like I said, I just got in, so I don't know if they sat there all night. I don't know if they are still sitting there. I know they, uh, Democrats continue gun control sitting after House adjourned. So, okay, so as of two hours ago, uh, they were still sitting. (laughs) They're calling this thing historic. Right, okay. If we can't stand for something, then we'll, we'll sit for it. But anyway, uh, they are demanding new gun control legislation. And they're like, we're going to sit here until we pass new gun laws because we want the FBI to be able to investigate people so that they can't commit acts like what we saw in Orlando. But what they are failing to realize is that we already have such laws, and the FBI did investigate uh, the shooter in Orlando and deemed it not necessary to follow up with him, and hence he was able to commit the atrocities which he did. We don't need more gun laws. We need to enforce the laws that we have. We need to be smart, less politically correct, and seriously, get up off the floor, guys, Democrats. You're, you're not helping anything. I mean, seriously. What does sitting on the floor, sitting on the floor, like you're literally not even standing up for something. You are sitting on the floor demanding new gun laws, which will do nothing except empower more criminals to commit more crimes by disarming honest, average Americans. 
And I'm going to talk more about this, this gun control thing in just a second, but here's some irony about this sit-in. <laughs> Do you want to know what food the Democrats ordered last night for their sit-in? They ordered Chick-fil-A. <laughs> you know, that, that evil Christian company that is bigoted and hateful and, and, and despicable and that we should boycott. Yeah, that's the one that they ordered. <laughs> they didn't order stuff from Whole Foods. They ordered Chick-fil-A. Oh, dear. Okay, but so uh, about the gun laws issue, all right? Let's talk about this. Uh, e because even Donald Trump, Donald Trump said earlier, or actually I think it was the end of last week, middle to end of last week, that uh, he was going to be meeting with the NRA about not allowing people on the terrorist watch list or the no-fly list to be allowed to buy guns. But here's the thing. This is the United States. And one of the things that has made us great is that we have this thing called due process. Due process of law. Okay? But what Trump said is he said we have to make sure that people that are terrorists or have even an inclination towards terrorism cannot buy weapons or guns. When asked if his position is that those on the terror watch list shouldn't be able to purchase a gun, Trump responded, I'd like to see that and I'd like to say that. It's simpler. Here's the problem with that. That's the exact position of Democrats on gun ownership right now, which is why they're staging this sit-in. Mr. Trump formerly, by the way, supported an assault weapons ban, quote-unquote assault weapons. And not to mention the fact that assault weapon has never been clearly defined. You say, well, he's only talking about terrorists, so why is this such a problem? No, he's not only talking about terrorists, and neither are Democrats. They're talking about people that are randomly put on a government list without any sort of due process. Again, this is the same government, the same FBI, the same federal officials who missed all the warning signs in Orlando. I mean, even if even if the government were, were capable of, of managing a list like this properly, do you want your name on it? Because, by the way, when your name ends up on a list like this, it does, they don't have to have a reason for it, and you don't have a way to appeal it. Because it's indiscriminate. There is no due process if you end up on the terror watch list. They can just put you on it. And you don't think that at some point Christians will just be put on the terror watch list? I mean, they're already teaching in the military that Christians need to be watched as potential terrorists because we could be religious fanatics. Even though all of the mass shootings and everything that you see happening around the world, it's not Christians that are blowing people up and beheading people and raping people and murdering people by the thousands. That would be another religious group, but that's another topic for another time. But anyone can get put on this list with no due process. And so if you just say, well, anyone that's on the terror watch list or the no-fly list, they shouldn't be allowed to have a gun. Well, your name can end up on there. And poof, your Second Amendment rights are gone. Because your name is on a list. You had no opportunity to say, hey, I'm not a terrorist. I don't deserve to be on there. You had zero due process. And because of that, no more guns for you. Interesting. You know, uh, Senator Ted Kennedy was once on the no-fly list, accidentally. Stephen Hayes, 
He was on the no-fly list. Fox News guy. Just average people. You can get put on the no-fly list. The thing is, it's just not a good idea. Even if you even if you think that Mr. Trump has the best ideas in the world, and uh, and that this is this could somehow work, it won't. Because if we say now, well, we're just going to put people on the no-fly list and the terror watch list on the on the. Uh, I'm sorry, people are texting me. It's distracting me because our stream is still down. Yes, I, I'm sorry about that. For those of you listening, we're we're trying to get it back up again. Um, but if we start this way by saying, well, we can just put people on this list, and uh, we'll just use this list will be our our litmus test to whether or not you can have a firearm. That's called opening the door to a very slippery slope. And s- the next guy that comes along, say it's Mr. Trump, and he says, well, you know, it's only going to be for those on the terror watch list and the no fly list, and you say, okay, well, we can deal with that. All right. Well, if you open that door. Then what list is next? Whose names are next? Where does it stop? That's my question. (sighs) There was a, uh, I don't know if you saw this, there was a guy, I think this was actually out here in Las Vegas. Yeah, this is from CNN. A man who attempted to grab a gun at rally wanted to kill Trump, the man arrested for trying to disarm a police officer inside a Donald Trump rally in Las Vegas Saturday, told authorities he intended to use the gun to kill Trump, according to a new criminal complaint. Police arrested the 19-year-old after he attempted to pull a police officer's gun from its holster inside a Las Vegas theater where Trump, the the presumptive Republican nominee, was holding a campaign rally. Police said Michael Stanford, a Briton, struck up a conversation with a Las Vegas Metropolitan Police officer under the pretense that he was seeking to get an autograph. During the conversation, police said Stanford tried to pull the officer's service weapon from its holster. Other officers also assigned to provide security at the event were quickly able to detain Sanford, and authorities said there was no further disruption to the event. However, the young man told police that he drove to Las Vegas from California for the specific reason of killing Donald Trump. By the way, he was in the country illegally, and his visa had expired. He'd been living out of his car in California for a month. The day before, I believe it was the day before, he practiced shooting for the first time at a gun range in Las Vegas. He'd been planning to kill Mr. Trump for about a year, but decided to act on this occasion because he finally felt confident about trying it. I hate to say this, I really do, but I think that the next president, whether it is uh, Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, is probably going to see more assassination attempts than any uh, presidential candidate or president in history because they are both just such polarizing figures. Neither one is particularly loved by even a majority of their party. So you're going to have so many disgruntled people with uh, on your own side and on the other side. It's just going to be, I, you know, I need to pray for our Secret Service personnel because I think they have a rough few years ahead, unfortunately. Um, all right, I want to do one more, one more thing about uh, the presidential candidates here before we have to get to a break. The first campaign finance reports for the presidential candidates, now that it's down to uh, essentially Mr. Trump and Hillary Clinton, have been released. And I'm not going to lie, Mr. Trump's is not pretty at all. 
In fact, some of it is quite possibly unethical. I mean, he's paying huge sums to companies and organizations that he owns, which is a conflict of interest. And for some unknown reason, which I still can't figure out, the Trump campaign is paying Mr. Trump a salary to run for president. Now, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm fairly certain that that's never been done before by Democrats or Republicans or anybody else for that matter, and it makes me wonder why. Now, it's very common to, uh, to put family members on your campaign as staff and pay family members, but to pay the candidate themselves, so are you, are you running for office because you want to serve the people or because you want people to donate to your campaign, which in turn is actually lining your pocketbook? I mean, the whole self-funding myth, which that is completely 100% a myth, Mr. Trump has not self-funded his campaign at all. Actually, no, that's not true. It was a very minimal amount, I think in maybe ten to $20,000 range at the beginning that he put into his account. Uh, but then everything beyond that, he loaned to his campaign. A campaign loan is not the same thing as a campaign donation. He did not self-fund his campaign from the get-go. He never has. And now, not only is he repaying those loans, but he is also, on top of repaying the loans, paying himself a salary out of the money that is being donated to his campaign. So he's essentially using the RNC, using Republican donors, using average Americans to pay himself to run for president. Personally, I have a problem with that. Especially, you know... If you think that it's that if you were a person that admired Mr. Trump for not being beholden to special interests, well, if that was, I mean, if that was one of the most important things to you, this has got to be troubling to you because now not only is he beholden to them, but he's taking a salary from them. Also, if you think that congressional salaries are too high, senior Trump aides are apparently making $20,000 a month right now from his campaign. $20,000 a month. And furthermore, if you're worried about the budget and having a candidate who's good with finances, well, here's a bottom line for you. The Trump campaign has exactly $1.3 million on hand, but they are $45.7 million in debt. Ted Cruz raised more money in May than Mr. Trump, and he isn't even in the race. He finished his campaign with more cash on hand than Trump has in debt right now. So at some point, either Mr. Trump is going to have to come through on that self-funding thing, or he's got to find a way to get his enthusiastic supporters to put their money where their mouths are, and, oh, by the way, also pay him a salary to run for president. I mean, Hillary took in $40 million more than Mr. Trump in the last quarter. However, now, now we're learning that on her side, she's been using a leadership pack as a slush fund. Oh. This is, I, I wish I was joking. Like, this absurdity. This is from uh, TheIntercept.com. Hillary Clinton used leadership pack as slush fund. The Bernie Sanders campaign in April accused Hillary Clinton of looting her joint fundraising committee to fund her presidential com- campaign, effectively circumventing rules that cap donations at $5,400 per person. Clinton's joint committee, called the Hillary Victory Fund, can raise $358,500 per person because it's supposed to share money with the Democratic National Committee and state parties. 
Sanders' campaign pointed to news reports that the fund had been covering expenses for the Clinton campaign instead of spending on down-ballot races. Also, illegal. I mean, guys, look, I don't care which candidate you like. I mean, I care in that I care about our country, and uh, I think it obviously it always matters who you vote for. I mean more like regardless, okay, regardless of which candidate you like. Let me explain something to you. Campaign finance reports are serious business. I worked two statewide campaigns in Pennsylvania. I had to fill out finance reports with our uh, campaign manager. These things are not fun. And you better get them right. And, I mean, both the leading candidates right now have serious money issues. Like, serious money issues. Not to mention a whole bunch of other issues, you know, like letting Americans die in Benghazi and fraud investigation and things like that. But they're having money issues. Like, don't we need someone who's good with finances. And these reports are less than encouraging on both fronts. And I'm not trying to discourage you. I'm not saying that the world is a terrible, evil place and it's coming to an end, although the world is a terrible, evil place and it's coming to an end. I just think it's important that you know what's happening. I mean, one of these people is most likely going to be running your country. You should know how they run their campaign. It's a microcosm of how they will govern. Anyhow, we have to take a break. We are going to play... Let's go with some piano, guys. I need something to help wake me up this morning. I'm still uh, recovering from a lack of sleep last evening. So here we go. This is um, Without You from Piano Guys. We'll be back in just a minute. Don't go away. We're going to have Pastor Jonathan Falwell from Thomas Road Baptist Church is coming up in just a few minutes. So, yes, I think you're going to enjoy that. I enjoyed talking with him. Stay with us. And welcome back. You're listening to KVXL 101.1 FM Experience Liberty Radio in Las Vegas. We're very blessed today to have Pastor Jonathan Falwell of Thomas Road Baptist Church in Lynchburg, Virginia with us. You can listen to Pastor Jonathan's daily one-on-one radio devotional here on KVXL at 7.10 p.m. each evening. Thank you so much, Pastor Falwell, for being here today. I appreciate it. It is an honor to be able to be with you and all the great people there in the in Las Vegas area. Yes. Well, not everyone here is great people. Most of us. That is exactly right. Have hope and faith that God allows us the opportunity to minister to them. Yes, sir. That is our that is our entire purpose, is it not? Is to reach the world for Jesus Christ, and that's what we're we're doing jointly with you guys as well. We're just on the other side of the country doing it. So, no, I know uh, every once in a while I'll check into your your sermon series online because I enjoy one on one and I enjoy listening to your longer sermons as well. And you've been doing a series the past couple weeks about being in the world, but not of it. And I just wanted to start there with you. You know, we had the president recently come out and make this declaration about about school bathrooms and opening them up to kids of every gender or whatever gender they happen to think they are at the time. You know, we have gay marriage now. We have all these different cultural issues and abnormalities, if you will. And it seems that many Christians now have a tendency to either say, well, you know, it's over. I might as well build a bunker in my basement and hunker down till Jesus comes, and I'm just going to hang out here and wait for him. Or, you know, they despair of, of, look, you know, I want to be involved, but there's nothing I can do. Nothing I do makes a difference anyway, and so on and so forth. So, you know, how do we as Christians, how do we respond to these things? How do we really be in the world, but not of it? 
Well, you know, the first thing to understand when we look at our culture and we look at what's happening in our country today, we have to recognize that, uh, you know, this should not be a surprise to us. Mm. Uh, if you spend any time at all reading the scriptures, uh, it's very clear uh, what the Bible tells us about their will today. Second Timothy chapter 3, Second Timothy chapter 4, uh, Paul writing tells us very clearly that there's going to come a day when people are, are going to reject truth. They're not going to want to hear what we have to say. Uh, there's going to come a time, Second Timothy chapter 4, when all that the world wants to hear is that which makes them feel good. Second Timothy chapter 3 talks about the kind of sin, the kind of actions that we're going to see in a culture uh, when we come to, towards the last days. And so nothing that we see today should surprise us. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christ told us many years ago uh, what it's going to look like and, and uh, what it is that we have to, uh, to do in response. In John chapter 17, Jesus had a very clear uh, and a very definite statement uh, in his prayer for us you know, when he was, you know, he was actually there praying and talking to God and the Father, and he said, listen, I, I'm coming to you, but, but these people who I'm leaving behind, I'm leaving them here. They're not leaving the world. They're staying in the world. So he went on to say, so, Father, protect them through your truth, through your word, and protect them from the evil one. And so, uh, you know, I think what we see in the world today is not an opportunity for us to get discouraged or for us to you know, hunker down in some hiding place. I think it's an opportunity for us to take God at his word, to be encouraged by the promise and the hope that we have in him, that he is going to give us everything that we need to make it not only through this day, but through every day to come. Uh, and that we uh, also, as the scriptures very clearly tell us, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Uh, the beautiful thing about God's word is that it already reminds us that we win. Mm-hmm. And we might lose a few battles along the way, but the ultimate war, the war's been won because of what Christ has done for us. Amen. That's exactly right. The war has already been done. But I think it's an issue, you know, the, the apostles, they prayed for boldness to witness. And I think that's something that we as a church need to re-embrace today is just the boldness. Because I think a lot of times, you know, we just don't want to make waves. We don't want to be the one that's called judgmental or the one that speaks up. But life isn't a popularity contest, is it? And wasn't Jesus himself nothing if not controversial even? Oh, absolutely. You know, when, when when you look at the life of Christ, there's no question that everything that he did, um, you know, it, it called into question everything that the religious leaders even of the day were doing. Uh, it, it challenged everything that, you know, that the, the people of that day uh, knew and believed and what they thought was proper and what they thought was right. Uh, you know, Jesus hung out with sinners and he hung out with tax collectors. If you look back to the Gospels, the things that he did, uh, he did all of those things. And he said this, he said, he did it because he came to seek and to save that which is lost. And so mm-hmm. our responsibility and our duty, according to Ephesians chapter 5, is that we are in the midst of a dark world, in the midst of a difficult culture. We see the news, we see the stories, what's taking place with ISIS and, and all of the other horrific things that are going on in our world today. Uh, and we have been placed here as light in a dark world. And Ephesians chapter 5 tells us that we must walk as children of light. In other words, what we need to do is be a reflection of uh, the love of God, the power of God. Uh, you know, when Jesus was asked what's the most important commandment, he said to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then, interestingly, he said the second is like it, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. And so uh, what we must do is to not be a people who are constantly condemning or criticizing. We must be a people who are constantly reflecting the love of Christ in a world that so desperately needs to see uh, and to hear and to know who he is. And, and to be the kind of people that would bring them into a relationship with Christ uh, because of the way that we live and the way that we act as children of light in a dark world. 
Right. We're not supposed to just curse the darkness. We're supposed to light a candle. We're supposed to be that witness, that reflection of Jesus. And I know that uh, your mission statement at Thomas Road is love God and love people. Is that what our light is? I know it's to reflect Jesus. Do we do that by loving people and by loving God? And have we forgotten that not only are we supposed to stand for truth in our culture, but we're supposed to, to speak that truth in love? Is that part of what our problem is, you think? Well, you know, I think that absolutely is part of it. I think that is a definite, uh, uh, you know, kind of a response or reflection to uh, what we uh, believe about the love of God is how we treat others and how we, uh, you know, how we respond to the people that even who are against us and who oppose us. But uh, I think likewise, I think that, you know, truth is an important thing. Um, Mm -hmm. Again, going back to John chapter 17, uh, you know, Jesus in his prayer, he made it very clear. He said, you know what, I, I pray that you know, God, that you would allow them to understand that your, you know, your truth and that your truth comes through your word. And so that's why it's so important that uh, people of faith, that, that Christ's followers, that we spend time in God's word daily to figure out how it is that we are to live and how we are to preach truth, but to preach truth in love. Uh, you know, there can't be compromise. We can't sit back and, and decide, well, you know, we've lost uh, this battle. We've lost this situation. You know, things are looking bad. So therefore, I'm just going to give up on what I believe and get up, give up on what uh, you know, I know to be true according to God's Word. Now, what we do is we continue to stand on principle. We continue to preach truth, and we do so, um, to obviously, to honor our relationship with Christ, but also to be His representatives uh, well, that needs to hear truth. And, again, if, if we're not doing that, if we're not living that out, then, uh, you know, the great problem with that is that then the world will not hear truth if we're not, uh, you know, the people who are actually going to continue to preach truth. Sure, yeah, that hypocrisy is a, is a big thing and a big thing that pushes people away from the church when we don't live out what we say we believe and what we're telling them we believe. Um, I was listening to one of your messages, I think it was from last Sunday maybe, and you said something that really stood out to me. You said we've become comfortable with our lives, so we've become complacent with what's happening in our culture as Christians. And I just think that's so powerful. You know, Complacency is paralyzing the church and Christians. So how do we guard against that complacency, and how do we recognize if we've already become complacent? Well, I think the first thing we must do in order to uh, to keep ourselves from getting too comfortable and too complacent uh, in the culture uh, is that we must, you know, always understand uh, what our purpose is. Uh, mm-hmm. Why are we here? Uh, you know, the world, the culture believes the reason that people exist, the reason that we're here is to make more money or to... You know, to be popular or to have fame or to have power, all these kinds of things that, you know, the world seems to have put such great value on. But according to God's Word, the reason that we're here is to, to do a couple of things. And the first thing, according to First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, is that whether we eat or whether we drink, no matter what we do, we do all for the glory of God. We are here to bring glory to God. And so as children of light, as Christ's followers, our responsibility uh, is in everything that we do, that we honor, that we lift up, that we... Um, that we give glory to God in every situation and everything that we do. Uh, the second element of that, of how we make sure that we keep away from getting too comfortable or complacent in, uh, in our lifestyles and in our hearts in today's culture, is that we must recognize that there is a world that is out there that according to Matthew 28, Mark 16, Acts chapter 1, Jesus made it very clear uh, in those all three of those chapters, which all of those, by the way, are the same conversation recorded in three different places in Scripture, before he was ascended into heaven, where he told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. He said, make the disciples, make disciples of all the nations. He said, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. That our responsibility 
is always to bring people to a place that they hear about Christ and that they have an opportunity to accept Christ. And so when we understand that our purpose is to honor God and our secondary purpose is to uh, reach the world for Christ, to let people know who Jesus is, and what happens is, is that that puts a burden on us, and I don't mean a burden in a bad way. I mean a burden in a good way, uh, a passion, a desire in our hearts that, uh, that we are here for a reason, and that reason is to let people know uh, what Jesus has done, who Jesus is. In John 14, 6, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. When we understand that as our purpose, our meaning, our, uh, our driving force day in and day out, uh, then it would be impossible for us to get comfortable and complacent in that kind of a culture because we would know every day when we wake up and every night when we go to bed uh, that we have a duty and a responsibility according to the power of God. Amen. Yeah, I know that's exactly it. And, you know, having grown up in church, it's easy for me to, to listen to you or my pastor or different individuals say things like that, and, and, I, and I get it. Like, I hear it in my head. I understand what it means in my heart. But for those people that are maybe new Christians or, or don't understand the, the church speak, if you will. Um, you know, we say we're going to reach the world for Christ. We need to bring people to Christ and everything that we do, we do for the glory of God. You know, and then there's these, these younger Christians that are sitting back and going, I'm, I'm not a pastor. I don't, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how, you, you know, you lead someone to Christ. I don't know how to have an impact in my community. How did, how did those individuals really get involved in making an impact for Christ in, in this world? Well, you know, I think, first of all, we have to understand, um, you know, our worth and our value to God. Sure. Uh, you know, a lot of times when we do get to the place where we feel like we, we can't really make a difference and we don't know how to share our faith, we don't know how to impact uh, people with the gospel, we, we kind of have this understanding or this feeling, I guess is a better word, that um, God doesn't need me, that God mm. can't use me. Look at my past. I've blown it. I've messed up time and time again, you know. There's no way God can use me. We look at people like Billy Graham out there in the world. Well, yeah, God can use him, but God can't use me. Sure. Um, we have to get to the place where we understand our worth and our value to God. Um, you know, the Bible very clearly tells us, uh, Romans chapter 5, 8, says that God demonstrates his own love towards us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that word uh, in that verse that's so important is the word still, because what it tells us is when we were of no value to God, when we were so far from God, when we were lost in our sin, God loved us so much anyway that he allowed his only son Jesus to die for us. And so when we recognize that if that God, the God who created all the universe, loves us that much, then certainly he believes that we have worth, that we have value, and that there is something that he needs us to do in this world today, uh, that there's some value that we can offer, that we can add to the kingdom of God uh, and that's why God allowed his son, Jesus, to come to redeem us, is that we have that much worth and that much value to God. So we must, we've got to understand that. We've got to grab a hold of that and, and uh, embrace that truth, that no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, all of us have value in the kingdom of God. And so, you know, from a practical side, when you say, well, I don't know how to shift my faith, hey, listen, great news. Um, you know, the majority of people, uh, you know, are concerned and worried, and they're like, I'm not going to mess it up, I'm going to blow it. Hey, listen, here's the point. Right. We're all human. So what you do, man, just simply tell your story. Uh, you know, you don't have to be Billy Graham to reach people with the gospel. All you have to do is simply tell your story about who God is, what God has done in your life, and the Bible very clearly tells us is that God's Word, God's story, never returns void. It always makes an impact. It always makes a difference. And all of us have a story, and all of us can share a story, no matter how uh, 
ineffective we think we might be. And it's really amazing how many people are receptive to that. You know, I think everyone, you know, before you start sharing your story or sharing the gospel with someone, your knees are shaking and you're like, I, this is going to be messed up. But it's not even about what you say. It's the Holy Spirit working in their life. And, you know, even beyond that, anyone can pass out a track. That's simple. It's easy. And almost everyone will accept a track, which is amazing to me because yeah. people are so unreceptive of almost everything else that you would try to give them. But almost everyone will accept a track. And it's easy to just invite people to church. You know, you may not know how to present the gospel, you, but you may not be ready to tell your story. But you can say, hey, you want to come to church with me on Sunday and your pastor and you, Pastor Jonathan, I know you give the gospel uh, on a regular basis there at, at Thomas Road as well. So I know uh, your time is very valuable. I'm going to wrap things up here. So one last question. If there was just one truth or one encouragement that you could share with Christians in the church in America today, what would that be? Well, the one truth that I would absolutely stand on would be the same truth. And if you asked me this 20 years ago, if you asked me 20 years from now, uh, it'll be this, is that we live in a world that is difficult. It's a culture that's uh, different. Uh, going away from all the things that we know to be true. But the one thing that never changes is the fact that the only hope for this world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me, that is a truth that never changes. And so be encouraged and know that the same God who through his son Jesus Christ uh, made an impact on the world back in you know, the first century A.D. that we read about in the scriptures is the same God who is in control today. And is the same story that was passionate then, the same story that changed lives then, is the same story that will change lives today. So I would just say stand on that truth. Recognize that God can do today exactly what he did 2,000 years ago. He is not limited by scope of time. He's not limited by anything that we face. He's not limited by who's in the White House. He's not limited by who's in Congress. He's not limited by the Supreme Court. Truth is truth is truth, and God's truth never changes. Amen. That's that's very powerful. And I just I want to thank you for everything that you are doing, uh, everything that your family has done for our country and for the church as a whole. Um, it's just a, a great blessing to me and my family and even my church family here in Las Vegas. My pastor actually went to Liberty and I think got saved there. So, you know, you've, your family has had a huge impact all across our country. And thank you so much for your service to our Savior and to our nation. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Crystal. Thank you what you do. And uh, you're in a in a great place, positioned perfectly in a community, in a city there, in that area that, uh, that you know, people from all over the world are there every single week. That's true. A great opportunity to impact the world with the gospel right there. That's that's what it is. We can, this is our mission field, and we're we're looking for laborers to help us with our harvest because it is uh, the fields are white out here. So, well, we've got a group coming from uh, Thomas Road that's going to be there in July. They're going to spend a week there in Las Vegas doing ministry and street ministry and. Oh, fantastic. Uh, we're about 50 of our church members out there, and they'll be there for the entire week. And one of them is my daughter is coming out to do that. So we're excited about that and already praying about what God might do. Well, great. We will look forward to having them here in our city, and uh, thank you for sending them. We, we Yeah, <laughs> Las Vegas needs all the help we can get, and we are grateful for it. So thank you. God bless you guys. Thanks so much for all that you do. You too. Thank you so much. It's uh, What's your website, by the way? What is Thomas? Is it trbc.com? Uh, trbc.org. trbc.org. And uh, people could go there if they, if they would like uh, you know any help or any information. We certainly would uh, be happy to do all that we can to encourage people. All right. Well, thank you, Pastor Jonathan. That was Pastor Jonathan Falwell from Thomas Road Baptist Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. Stay with us. We're going to be back in just a few minutes here on KVXL 101.1 FM. Okay, so that was Pastor Jonathan Falwell, a 
couple breaking news items while we were talking with him. Uh, first off, there is a uh, shooting happening right now in Wernheim, Germany. It's about, uh, I think, 70 miles, no, 40 miles south of Frankfurt, Germany. Uh, there is an active shooter situation. Police have said they do believe it is terrorist-related. There's 25 to 50 people uh, estimated to be injured right now. The gunman has hostages, so I ask that you would pray for those involved. It is happening at a cinema uh, at right now. Uh, the shooting is, is taking place. There it is, there's hostages involved, um, and uh, it's just a, a terrible, terrible situation. Oh, nope, as of a minute ago, the shooter has been arrested. All right, there we go, good. situation is under control, so definitely uh, keep the families of those uh, injured. I'm not sure if there were any fatalities, but uh, definitely want to keep them, keep their city in our prayers. They're going to have a rough, uh, rough couple days there, and possibly longer if there are fatalities. Um, also, we had uh, the Supreme Court just issued, uh, I think we're up to four rulings right now today. So let's see, uh, they affirm, they upheld Affirmative action. The Supreme Court on Thursday, this is from the Washington Post, said the University of Texas admission officials may consider the race of student uh, applicants in a way to, to, in a limited way, to build a diverse student body. The 4-3 decision was a surprising win for advocates of affirmative action who say the benefits of diversity at the nation's colleges and universities are worth the intrusion on the Constitution's guarantee of equal protection that generally forbids the government from making decisions based on racial classifications. The specific case was brought in 2008 by Abigail Fisher, a white woman who was denied admission to the university. Her suit was organized and funded by a conservative legal organization that opposes racial preferences in government and brought the challenge that resulted in the justices striking a key provision of the Voting Rights Act in 2013. Uh, so, you know, and in, in you're just you're seeing in these rulings, if, if Scalia were still here, this would have been a 4-4 tie, with the one dissenter, or maybe then the dissenter would have would have switched uh, to to change that. But I don't see that this would have held up if Scalia were were still on the bench. I mean, it, the Washington Post literally says <laughs> that the advocates of this this um, um, this case say the benefits of diversity at our colleges are worth the intrusion on the Constitution's guarantee of equal protection that generally forbids the government, a.k.a. state-run, state-funded school, from making decisions based on racial classifications. So they're like, diversity trumps your rights. Sorry, folks. And the court upheld this. It's outrageous. Scalia would never have let that happen. Uh, they've also limited the use of the repeat offender law, so the Supreme Court is making it tougher, essentially, for federal prosecutors to seek longer prison terms uh, for individuals who have been convicted of repeat violent crimes. It was a 5-3 uh, ruling. It said that the lower courts are now limited in how they can consider prior state crimes for purposes of increasing sentences under the Federal Armed Career Cr uh, Criminal Act. So essentially, uh, if you are facing a five-year sentence for the crime you just committed, but you have a previous conviction from another crime, they can't uh, make your new... Um, it's now harder for them to say, well, we're going to make this term longer because of your past record. Now, that is 
limited. Uh, they have also said they, where's this one? Oh, uh, DUI-related case. Uh, there's no warrant. The Supreme Court said no warrant is required for a breath test if you are suspected of driving under the influence. However, if the police would like a blood test, then now there will be a warrant required uh, for that, as they are saying that is a more invasive uh, procedure and uh, could be considered a violation of privacy as well. Perhaps the biggest one that we have right now is that they have blocked the Obama administration's immigration plan. Uh, the U.S. Supreme Court divided evenly, 4-4 vote, over President Barack Obama's plan to shield as many as 4 million unauthorized immigrants from deportation, a deadlock that effectively kills the initiative for the rest of his presidency. From Bloomberg Politics, the 4-4 split leaves intact an appeals court ruling that said Obama overstepped his authority, along with a trial judge's order preventing the program from taking effect. This essentially... Uh, kills the president's immigration plan for the remainder of his term. He won't be able to do anything with immigration now because of this 4-4 tie uh, from the Supreme Court ruling. And again, I believe if Scalia were alive, that would have been, uh, it wouldn't have been a tie. It would have been a, a definite no. He would have voted no. So that one, that one I believe they, they got right. So Scalia would would be proud of them for that one. That's all the time we have left for today. Remember, our missions conference continues tonight. If you're here in Las Vegas, we would love to have you join us. We're located at 6501 West Lake Mead Boulevard, 7 p.m. this evening. Our mission conference continues. It'll also be happening tomorrow night, uh, 7 p.m. as well there. Thanks to be though Yeah, let's start the sentence over. Back it up. Back the train up. Thanks to those of you listening on the405media.com. Remember, you can stream us online at kvxl101.com. We're having some issues with our stream. It's coming and going. Uh, it's been in and out throughout the show today. We're trying to figure out what's going on there, um, and hopefully we'll have that resolved very soon. Uh, also, for our missions conference, though, just as a reminder to those of you that might be wanting to tune in via radio for that. We will not be live streaming that on the radio. However, if you would like to watch it, you can go to experienceliberty.com, click on the media tab, and you can watch it via video. Tonight is a very, probably my favorite service of our entire year. So if you're not in Las Vegas, you should stream it. Experienceliberty.com, you can watch it happen. And if you are in Las Vegas, you should come because it's fantastic. 6501 West Lake Mead Boulevard, Liberty Baptist Church. Have a fantastic day. This is uh, Hillsong Acoustic Mighty to Save. We will see you tomorrow.